Welcome to Kid Tech, the podcast series that goes behind the scenes with all of the influencers, makers, creators, and just downright interesting people involved in the digital kids media space. Um, my name is Dylan Collins. I'm the CEO of Super Awesome. Today, I am very, very pleased to be with Andy Robertson. Um, Andy is um, a pretty well-known journalist. He specializes in the intersection of family and technology. He is the author of the forthcoming book, Taming Gaming. And um, welcome to the show, Andy. Hello, thanks for having me. Um, so first of all, to all of our listeners, um, you know, you're involved in, in a lot of very interesting um, initiatives sort of broadly across the, the, the family and tech ecosystem. Could you talk about some of the things you're involved with and what you're doing? Yeah, so I kind of came into this space um, as the Wii was being launched. So that's, I think, 15 years ago or so. Wow, um, is, and it, sudden, is, it that, is it that long? It is a long time <laughs> when everybody was suddenly, oh, games is something that's not just for kids. You know, grandparents and parents were playing as well. And it kind of started a conversation that um, I've tracked with ever since. Um, and it kind of ebbs and flows. And during the time of the Wii, there was a lot of interest. You know, is it just a one, one hit wonder or will that, will that continue? Um, but as I've seen that kind of evolve, I've kind of written, um, spoken, done broadcast and TV at that intersection between families and technology. And as a writer, it's really interesting because it, it, the technology is fun and it's good to talk about. But what's really interesting for me are, are the people and how does it actually sit in people's lives? So I've always kind of been at that intersection because it's where we really need a, a good, strong, honest conversation about what works and what doesn't work not only from safety and sort of protection, but just from having fun. And, you know, like we had the Xbox Connect and there was a lot of back and forth. And most, well, I think most games journalists would be a bit down on it and say, oh, it didn't, it didn't really work. It wasn't really worth it. It was a, a novelty that, that we kind of moved on from. But actually when, you, when, it, when that works in a family, it had some really magical payoffs. And so the sort of stuff it did in a, in a family home that I could see was often worth it. And I will still direct some families back to go and do that in a similar mm. way with the Wii U. Mm. Many would talk about the Wii U and be like, oh, that's the, the Nintendo console that failed. But, you know, maybe commercially it wasn't a success for Nintendo, but for mm. families, it's a huge success. There are loads of experiences on the Wii U that you still can't get anywhere else where, mm. where you're playing different roles in different games and it just works really well. Mm. And so by kind of paying attention to both the technology and families, um, I guess I kind of have developed that expertise where now I can kind of come to some of these newer things and sort of bring that to bear in different ways. And that gets expressed in lots of different areas. Um, you know, YouTube, the, the book that you mentioned, and then most recently I've been working on a kind of a spin-off from the book, a, a database of games for families. Mm. And let's talk about that actually as, as, as our sort of diving in point. Um, so it's the Family Video Games Database. Um, you know, you say it came from your work around the book. Can you, can you describe what it is for people? Yeah, so to give a bit of background on the book, the, the, in, in, in talking to families, what I realised is the danger is that because video games are kind of a new media and a new technology, mm. um, they're kind of alien to parents. And so you end up with this gap between parents and children. And if you're not careful, negative headlines come in and scare parents. Um, and sometimes, you know, the story's there. They're not all fake and you know, there are some real challenges. But the danger is that dealing with them in that kind of uh, moral panic way increases that distance between parents and technology and kids when actually we need to bring them together to make mm. it healthy. Mm. And so the book was designed to try and address those issues and be very frank about the violence, 
about um, you know online strangers, about costs, um, about addiction, um, but actually get the science right and sort of say what's the reality here, and then say that the answer is to engage in this area mm. and to listen to children and to pay attention to what they're saying and what's happening mm. when they're playing a game. Um, yeah. Do, do, do you feel that the current generation of parents? are more at ease with games. I mean, I mean, you and I will have sort of gone through a, a few kind of console iterations, right? And, and I suppose that comes with different um, parental generations. Do you find that, or do you see that there is a slightly different attitude today to, to kids and games, or is it more or less the same as it was? I think it's similar. Mm. Um, I, there's some visualization I've looked at around what people are Googling and particularly around games and violence, um, whereas other things have come and gone, actually the, mm. the, the, the number of things written about that is pretty consistent. If you look at the sort of column inches about that topic, right back to sort of 20 years ago. Yeah. But the, the impression I think we have is that it's getting worse and worse. Like what's happened to video games? Why is it such a problem now? Well, actually that's right. just been a very steady kind of thing. But I guess, you know, video games are becoming more popular and a bigger deal. They're making mm. more money. They're becoming mm. more prominent. They're becoming, they're starting to edge into the sort of cultural spaces they haven't been in before. Right, right. And so they're much more visible. But do you think, I mean, surely there's a, there's a generation of, of parents now who all grew up with games, right? Mm. I mean, even, I mean, if, you know, they were growing up in, in the nineties and even sort of, you know, PC gaming and sort of the original Doom and things like that you know, growing up into the first, you know, Super Nintendo and the first generation of Xbox and things like that, they still feel like, you know, somewhat uncomfortable with what their kids are being exposed to? Or, or is there, is, there, there isn't a qualitative difference? I think there's the potential there. They've got mm. like this sentimental connection to games. So they, they're, not, they're not writing them off in the same way. Right. Um, but, um, you know, games are very different now. They used to be expensive. They used to be difficult. They used to be offline. And now they're basically free. They're sort of unlimited, infinite. And, um, and they're online, you know, instantly. Um, so there's still a lot of work to do to move from that understanding of what games you used to have. And actually what mm. I find often is that parents who used to play games look at the games now and say this is ridiculous you know i would never be allowed to play this when i was that age <laughs> right. um, and actually can be more can be stricter and so just that assumption that as we've grown up we now know games i yeah. think it's still a challenge and it's about trying to understand you know games as as culture you know as as mm. a media as a way of mm. making sense of the world rather yeah. than just entertainment and that that's kind of a slow journey that will take a long time mm -hmm. and that's kind of what the book does so it, let's say it sets it out but then the, the second half of the book is basically a whole load of what I call recipes. So double page, full color spreads hmm. to try and introduce um, parents and carers to games they might like to play with their families. Hmm. Um, and that they'll mainly be games that they haven't heard of. I don't really talk much about Fortnite or FIFA or right, right. any of those kind of games because everyone knows about them. And there's about 60 there in the book. Mm. Um, but also some of those are very squarely aimed at parents. And that's, that's, that's kind of the, the difficult thing that the book says that's kind of less popular is that I say to, you know, to care for a, a child who loves video games, really the best way to do that is to find some games that you as an adult want to play yourself. Right. And I'm often standing in school halls with friends of mums and dads and I'll be stopped by a, a mum maybe or a dad saying, OK, it's great what you're saying. I know I want to play a part, but I can just stop you there because I'm never going to play a video game. They're for kids. They're not for me. I've got right. other more better things to do. Mm. And all the other parents kind of nod. Now, if they were talking about a different media like books or films and their children were watching inappropriate films or reading maybe murder books or something, um, then the other parents would say, oh, we'll find some great books and share them together. They wouldn't, if the parent right. had said, I'm never going to read books. 
you know, but, but at the stage we're at with games as a media, we still mm-hmm. kind of nod and, and knowingly sort of say, oh, yes, you know, we're going to play them. So the book tries to address that with some games I've used in various family settings and various parents and carers, mm-hmm. often those resolutely not going to play, that can take them on a journey. And right. if you can take that step into playing a game yourself and kind of tasting it, mm-hmm. then you're suddenly in a position to have a very different relationship, different conversations with your child about games. Mm-hmm. And games start to be anchored in the home as something part of family life rather right. than something right. that competes with family life. And what what is, I mean, so what, what would be sort of a couple of examples that you would throw out to parents, you know, which, which to your point, sort of aren't FIFA and aren't Fortnite? Yeah, so these are games that will be short, probably played on device they've already got, mm. aren't expensive and don't take a long time. Right. Uh, the one I've used most recently is a game called Bury Me, My Love, which sounds strange. <laughs> it's like a Pokemon game, but you, but the, the, the character that you're looking after in the game is your wife. Right. Um, it's set in Syria and you just play by texting. So it's like you're having a text conversation with your mm. spouse. It's very well written. It's like arts council funded sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And what happens is the character in the game, her, her family are killed. Um, your kind of parents-in-law, I guess. Mm. And together you decide the best course of action is for her to get to Europe. Um, And so you travel Mm. with her in this text message conversation as she does it. And at first it seems like, well, it's just like an an interactive book. I'm not really doing much. But as you carry on, you realise that the way you respond to her messages, sometimes just with a smiley face or... And maybe she arrives at a bus station and is like, oh, I'm here, but it's, it's going dark and there's no buses and I'm not sure what to do. And you maybe just say, oh, how do you feel? Or maybe you should go somewhere else or I would stick it out and stay there. And that interaction mm. changes the decisions she makes. And so it becomes this very branching story mm. about this journey. And so as an adult, you know, if you're interested in that theme and if you're prepared to take that, that journey, because it's, mm. you know, it's slightly harrowing. You, mm. you are connected to that, that topic in a completely different way mm. to watching a watching the news reading a book or watching a documentary and many parents who play that come away saying oh yeah i feel completely different now about this issue of refugees or you know homelessness and, and, do, and that's, that's they, a great example do, do they think of that more as, as as a learning experience or as a game because I, I mean i guess like obviously sort of the archetype of a game is, is i mean i guess if anyone was familiar with zork you know that sort of text-based like example sort of you know does sound familiar um, but but how do, how do parents think about that kind of experience, or or is that the point? You're sort of easing them into sort of the concept of a games environment. Yeah, so I think there's some resistance to say this isn't a game because they want to separate it. They want to say, well, games are this entertainment, right? But this this isn't a game because it's obviously media and culture. Um, but um, but then if if you I've talked to the developers and I've got these diagrams that show you the branching map. There's about a thousand different journeys you can take. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And what I'll often get them to do is to play it in a family. So each family member plays it on their phone, and they quickly their journey is very 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 quickly then um, branching. And what we did in my family was then at, di- at dinner time we actually got our phones out and mm-hmm. we talked about how far we'd got. And the game plays out in real time. So sometimes you won't hear from the character in the game for a few days, and then she'll pop up and say, "Oh, I've got here. My phone was out of charge." Right. And the game, the game tracks like how much money she's got, how she feels about you, what other resources she's got, what mm-hmm. else is going on in the world. So it's doing a lot of video game stuff. It doesn't have a high score, but it has twenty different endings, and at the end you get a bit of audio to sort right. of to, to round off the story. So what starts as something that feels like it's almost not a game kind of gets in there, and yeah. it's very easy to justify as a game. And then they, and there's a stepping stone to other things. Right, and right. if the children in the home talk to mum and dad, like, what are you doing? Oh, we're just playing our game. And they'll be like, what do you mean you're playing a game? That's our thing. You know, yeah, and suddenly yeah, the conversation's yeah. different. Interesting. And I mean, I, I have um, some background in the 
games industry and, and reasonably conversant with most of, of, of what's being currently played. But I mean, I've never heard of that title. So already I can sort of see the appeal of an actual database that is tracking sort of, you know, these types of games that are going to be useful and, and interesting for families. So that, that was, was that sort of the original premise of, of, of building the database? Yeah, so the database was there initially just to support the book. So it right. had about 60 games. Yeah. The book was supposed to be out in October, but with our, the current situation and the delays in printing, it, it was clear that it wasn't going to be out. But at the same time, it was clear that there was an acceleration in the conversation and the appetite for guidance in the area of video games. And so with a bit of funding from Yuki, the trade body, um, we managed to sort of fast track it and get it out. And right. I've just, I've just continued to add games. So it's now about 500 games in that database. And what's the URL? What's the URL for that? So just go to taminggaming.com. Cool. And that takes you to that homepage. Um, and each each game is is has a, its own page that's very specifically designed for parents. So there's a hand-picked single screenshot that best depicts the game. There's a video that starts at the exact point where you actually need to watch it, rather than the sort of thirty seconds of trail you have at the beginning. Talks about obviously in detail about the Peggy ratings, how long it will take to play. But then at the bottom um, suggests about 10 other games that I've handpicked to say, you know, if you've played this, then you might like to try these other games too. So it becomes not just about kind of understanding, but actually about discovery. And I think that's, it's those two things that parents need to mm. really empower them. Do, I mean, shifting gears slightly or sort of, I suppose, <coughs> going more upstream. Um, do you feel that game developers think enough about family gaming and, and I suppose specifically parental participation in games. Yeah, I mean, I think there are games designed for all, all shapes and sizes. So there are games designed for single players and games designed to play, be played online. I think there is a trend away from playing in the same place. And so you right. have to look a bit harder to find games that are really great to play with four or five people on the couch. But mm. it's not, you know, it's not difficult. And there's still mm. a big market for that. And there's many developers who are going after that. And, you know, this year, uh, you know, in the database, we've added sort of 20, 30 games that are really good to play in right. the same place. So I think it's is, about is, discovery. Is, is that being driven by sort of lo lockdown and shelter and home and COVID? Presumably it's some impact. I think that the uh, the prominence of those games, you know, is is greater. Obviously, they have a big lead time. So these were games that were already coming. Yeah. Right. But the success of, and the appetite for that, you know, there's a game called Overcooked, where you work together to create little recipes. And what's interesting, and this is true of any game, it's an important part of the narrative, I think, is that the interest of a game you play on the couch with other people is what's happening in the room as well mm. as what's on the screen. So that Overcooked mm. game, you quickly realise to complete these recipes in your restaurant, you have to say, okay, um, you do the chopping and dicing of the vegetables. I'll put it together. Dad can do the washing up and daughter can be the serving. And you have to do that kind of coordination. And the best games kind of make make use of that, a bit like a board game, really, um, so that what the conversation in the room is, is as exciting as what's on the screen. And you have this kind of interplay and a reason to get together. And suddenly mm. it becomes like a sort of an appointment thing. So families put actually sort of schedule it into their week. And right, again, right. it has that kind of anchoring effect. The other games that are designed to be played on your own, um, which are just you know just as good for lots of different reasons, um, are then part of this wider conversation rather than something which just happens in bedrooms and parents never see. Right, right. But I mean, in general, do, like, do you feel that there should be? I mean, if not necessarily support for, you know, whole family engagement in games, because obviously that that's kind of a genre and design point, but. Should should developers be, be be paying much more attention to figuring out how to enable some kind of parental involvement 
in games or or i mean you see a lot of sort of parental tools and things like that being introduced into more and more games like how do you think about that as a development thread i mean i think by creating a good game um you create the context for really good conversations right so i don't i don't think it is something you can particularly force it comes out of the mechanic and some mm. games will be designed for a single person and sure of course yeah. um so but the games that are really good you have to talk about it's like a good book mm-hmm. you don't you don't write a book thinking oh this will be a really good book if if, if the reader reads it then mm. we'll put some questions in for them to go and ask mum and dad you know you what you write right. a really good book mm. and they can't stop themselves and so my son playing the competitive game rocket league which is like a mm. game of football you have mm-hmm. to use remote control cars it's, it's just highly skilled and highly competitive no, he can't stop himself coming down and telling us, you know, what he's just done and, you know, what his what his achievements are. And I've made a point of actually sort of checking in with him and watching him play so that that conversation makes sense. And so there, there's right. the context for him to say, actually, this is this is a, an important part of our family life, much like maybe learning an instrument or um, doing well at school. And there has been occasions where he's achieved something significant in Rocket League and we've gone out as a family to have a meal before the lockdown um, to celebrate that. And, and so, it, it, you know, there's lots of ways that you can kind of create this. But I think really design wise, it's just it's the best, most interesting games that create those conversations. Um, I mean, should should parents be watching, you know, things like Twitch and Mixer to get a better sense of, of sort of these games? Or should they be trying to I mean, I guess this this becomes a parenting question, which I, I guess is always dangerous territory. But like you know, should they be watching something like Twitch or, or, or Mixer, which gives them a sense of how these games are being played? Or should they be trying to actually play the games? Should they be trying to, should they be trying to participate with their children? Like what, what sort of advice are you typically giving? I guess for, for, for a parent who's, who's sort of not into games, how do they sort of fast track an understanding of like, what is even going on? Like they'll read the headlines, but mm-hmm. what is actually going on with these games? Yeah, I think the most powerful thing is going back to that point of saying, find some games you can play you can play yourself. Right. Admi- admitting that's difficult. It's like if we were talking about wine, you know, the best way to understand why people drink wine or coffee, um, as we both are, um, is you know to to taste it yourself. And you can't you, can't, you could talk about it till the cows come home or watch someone you know drinking coffee on the on the screen. So that's <laughs> that's definitely front and centre. Yeah. Um, but secondly, I think it is um, just spending time listening and watching to your child playing playing games and not just mm. sort of helicoptering in, right. are they safe? Oh, they are, I'll go away. But actually maybe yeah. setting aside maybe half an hour to say, oh, you know, you know, play this game while I'm here and asking questions about them and explain it to them. And often parents, I think, seem to think that children don't want them to be around. It's like the kids thing, I don't want to interfere. Right. But most children in my experience, really welcome that involvement and interest. They don't want their parents to be there playing Fortnite while they're with their mates. Sure. But they like they like the parents to watch and then say, oh, you know, that was a good moment, wasn't it, when you got that when you got yeah. that headshot or whatever, or when you got that goal in Rocket League. Yeah. But as well as that, also listening to the, the sort of what else is going on, both in body language, but also the conversations that children are having. And at the mm. moment, many of the conversations aren't actually about the game. They're about the wider world and wider mm. life. So again, we go back to Rocket League. My son's got got friends in different countries and so they've been able to compare the progress of the virus and the lockdowns um situation mm-hmm. in you know in their different countries and they'll check in and they'll talk about that while they're playing and it's kind of a, it's that kind of playground chatter that they can't have elsewhere it's, it's interesting that you mentioned rocket league which is owned by epic who also own fortnite mm-hmm. um like do you think 
you know, there's a lot of discussion about sort of the, the, the impending metaverse and sort of metaversification of all of these games where sort of kids are in the environments and, and kind of, you know, hanging out and replicating what they would have done pre-COVID. Do you feel that's kind of a long-term trend um, or, or how do you see that evolving from a game's perspective? Yeah, I think we're just noticing something that games have been doing for a long time, mm. which is, you know, games always create a virtual space and then invite players in to behave in that space in a way they wouldn't do in normal life. Right. Um, and, you know, kids are great at, at, at putting those sorts of spaces to use for any way they need to. Um, and at the moment, obviously, they can go to those games to get that social connection, but also to do other, other work. Again, if you're paying attention, I think you can really notice that kids often get a sense of calm or mm. a sense of control from the games they're playing that they can't mm. get elsewhere. Which is helpful then if you're if you're trying to limit a game and you stop them, you can actually be taking away an actual coping mechanism. So then, if they get cross or agitated, it's easy to think, "Oh, look, look at what that game's done to you. You're now cross. Now you've stopped it." But actually, it was part. It was because of this wider metaverse kind of space it's created that actually something else was happening. Mm. And as parents, I think it's really helpful and important that we kind of understand that as that wider context. And it's easy it's easy to miss if you don't experience mm. it yourself. So I think that wider space of games, will I think it will continue. Mm. And then also there's this kind of mix of, of guess, language that some, some of that kind of metaverse is because what we're really talking about, like Roblox, is a games platform where you can play. You go to that space, like mm. maybe go to the cinema, and then you choose what you're going to do there. Mm. And so, again, parents need to understand that because it's not just if a child says, I'm going to go and play in Roblox, you know, well, what are you going to play? In a similar way, it's a, a child saying, I'm going to go to the cinema. What are you going to watch? Mm. And the appropriateness of the content comes from those choices. And, and so helping helping them curate and choose the, the, the right spaces to make sure they have a positive experience isn't just about that one destination, but it's about the other things they can do once they're in that space. Mm. I, you know, I feel with, with, with sort of the explosion of different games, genres and, and platforms, I guess, over the last few years that, you know, the actual ratings that are associated with, with, with games sort of must have been kind of challenged more and more. I mean, can we talk about that for a second? Like, do, do you feel that, that games ratings have evolved and have matured and, and are sophisticated enough to reflect current games or, or what is their role now and in the, in the future? I think the game's ratings are very good at rating content. So the so game's ratings, I think, were ahead of their time because they really are treating video games like media. Right. And so their questions that they put to, to games about, you know, what happens in the game, and, you know, if you look at violence, a particular sort of violent act will, will result in a particular age rating for a game. And as a parent, that's really helpful because you've got that very solid, you know what the experience is. And they don't then deal with, and they kind of don't, don't think they can, you know, is is the violence justified you know or is it appropriate that that's happened you know who's perpetrating it um and so they give that they give you as a parent a really good clear sight of you know what what's going to happen in the game and then you know your child so you can then decide whether they're in a position to interpret what's happening and to cope with it or maybe you know you create the context you know no media is good or bad in its own right it depends on the context that it's it's consumed in so maybe you're confident in the context in your family that your child could cope with a slightly older age rating. And so, I, you know, I think that we've made great strides in age ratings. And in particularly, 
with um, IARC, which is a, a, a system, a sort of international system, where there's a single rating, that, a questionnaire that developers fill out, and that then results in this kind of cross-cultural um, rating that then mm. is applied to the game, either mm. ESRB in America, PEGI in the UK, or the other ratings elsewhere. Um, which you know means that more and more we've got this standardised way of understanding what the content in games. And I think the, the, the one of the my sort of bugbears at the moment is that quite a lot of charities or kind of lobby groups um, kind of create their own ratings. You know, Common Sense Media has their mm. own ratings. And at the mm. minute in the UK, NetAware and SPCC has their own game rating that can be quite confusing mm. to parents. And so I think that I want to sort of double down on the good work that we've got we've done in age ratings by standardising them. And kind of the outlier is, I guess, the Apple Store because they want to do their own ratings. And so that seems unlikely that they'll come in. Mm. But, you know, Google Play, like on the database, I was looking at this recently, 500 games and um, only about 30 of them don't have a Peggy rating mm. um, because you can find them somewhere. But you do yeah. have to do a bit of legwork to find that at the moment because a lot of it's on storefronts, isn't centrally isn't century searchable um, because of this move to this international IARC system alongside the existing sort of classic PEGI system. Mm. And, and do you think, I mean, with so much um, interaction in a lot of games coming from, I suppose, non-deterministic gameplay, so like interaction with other players, I mean, do you feel that, that ratings are, are capturing that mechanic sufficiently? I mean, I, I appreciate it's a very hard thing to achieve. Yeah, so that I mean that is again part of the kind of the literacy around this, which the book does with quite a bit of and the database quite a bit of legwork to mm. do that because a game a game is rated based on the content that's delivered to your sure. hardware. It's not rated based on what other people might do in the game. So all the ratings will will signify that they'll say um, it'll have a user interacts bit of text. That doesn't affect the age rating though, in the same way that it might say um, in game purchases. But mm. again, that mm. won't affect the age rating. But just flags up that. Um, when your when your child interacts with other people online, they may hear language. But if mm -hmm. that language had been delivered as part of the game, it would have been the 16. But of course, that's just coming from outside the, the game maker. And so that's not rated. And so that, you know, particularly in Roblox, is quite interesting because those games they're delivering, you know, are created by individual creators. Mm. And I think some of them, you know, it's a Peggy 7 in the UK. Mm. And some of those games, if they're rated individually, I think would, would probably be an older age rating. But because mm. they're created by a user, they're not delivered mm. by Roblox themselves. Mm. Um, they don't have to have that Peggy rating. So I think that's where that's where the, the ratings need to close the gap is where you've got a sort of a, a platform where you have amateur game makers delivering content. Um, but it's a it's a it's a challenge because of the number of games that are being made and the resources available to rate them. Yeah, it's, it, it's and, and clearly it's a trend that's that's only going to continue. And when, when we sort of look at, at Roblox and Minecraft and Fortnite and the sort of all, a lot of other games in development that are much more focused on sort of a UGC or, or sort of creator tool. Um, type mechanic. Andy, this has been a fascinating chat. I, I wanted to finish off by talking about um, you and your, your family's current gaming habits. Um, what are what are you guys playing right now that's interesting and people should know about? Yeah, so, I mean, my kids, just to flag up, is sort of 12, 14 and 17. So right. we're kind of a little bit older than some, mm. but we still enjoy playing games all together. So there's a game that's out on pretty much all platforms called Moving Out, where there's you, four of you play together. Mm. You, 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 you take the role of a kind of a, a removals company and you go into these homes and have to try and take the furniture out. And it's a little bit of a combination of kind of Tetris, um, the sort of... Uh, 
Chuckle Brothers kind of comedy of like trying to get a sofa out the door and into the truck and you have to store them in the right way, but you have to cooperate. And so, um, again, the conversations that we have in the room are really interesting. We have to kind of strategize before we go in because there's a limited time. So that's that's a lot of fun. We can play that together. I myself have been playing a game on the Switch called Lonely Mountain Downhill, um, which is a slightly strange title, but it's basically you ride a bike down a hill, um, like a mountain bike, uh, mm. but it's kind of a very, a very kind of physics based experience. And so you kind of, it's like that muscle memory and instinct. And as you play it over and over, it has that kind of iterative effect mm. that you slowly mm. get better. And there's mm. a real satisfaction in kind of coming down the hill and getting your beating your time. And it's a beautiful looking game as well. Mm. So actually, you know, I, I use that as a bit of a timeout. So I'm not working, I'm not doing right. family stuff. I'll think I'll just take 10, 15 minutes and just have a bit of me time. Um, my son, as part of homeschooling, has just started um, to use the Dreams game on right. PlayStation 4, which is a game making system mm-hmm. that's kind of unlike other game makers because you do everything with the um, the DualShock 4 controller. Mm. Um, and the stuff you can create, you know, it, they look like commercial games mm. rather than the kind of more clunky, maybe Robloxy looking stuff, although Roblox itself looks better and better every day. Um, yeah. But so he's enjoying that. Mm. And then at the far end of the spectrum, me and my daughter have played through um, a narrative game called The Last of Us, which is an 18-rated mature, mature game mm-hmm. about a, sort of a father and a daughter figure who are trying to survive a zombie apocalypse. The mm. second one's coming out soon, so we're excited to play that. But that's that's real quality time. We're in the evening, mm. everyone else is in, in bed, and and she'll pop up and be like, oh, should we, should we play the bit of The Last of Us? And it's become sort of dad-daughter time. Um, right. Right. And, you know... She's not technically old enough to play it, um, but you know she's she's well she's a mature young woman and able to to cope with the themes that it raises. It's a, a fascinating spectrum, um, Andy. People can pre-order Taming Gaming this stage. Yep. So if you go to Taming Gaming, which is it's published by Unbound, so if you just Google the phrase Taming Gaming, that will get you there. Or go to taminggaming.com and the, the, there's a picture of the book on the home homepage of the database. Um, but at the minute, the database is probably the best place. To go and that's free so um yeah i was, I was clicking through I should be saying that <laughs> yeah no it, it, it looks absolutely amazing i was really enjoying scrolling through it and, and starting to bookmark a whole bunch of things that i want to play um andy robertson thank you so much for joining us on kid tech today thank you